absolutely phenomenal. And how do you put statistics on this, Phil? This isn't measurable because this is the art of human. I think there's tears in your eyes, Raymond. It's August 16th. Welcome to the Soccer in Theory podcast with Rehan Ahmed, Mark Adamjay, and myself, Ashwin Bajaj. We will discuss, as usual, the events of the past weekend in the world of soccer and look towards the next few days. To start, though, um, it was the 30th anniversary of the English League, which has morphed into the, morphed into the Premier League in the last 30 years. And we had a very feisty celebration with Tottenham and Chelsea playing, which we'll talk about <laughs> later on. But I, I know both of all three of us have had thoughts about this. The reasons for the popularity of the Premier League and how that's increasing at the expense of not, well, of, of all the other European leagues and, of course, um, the other leagues around the world in South America and the MLS, they keep the MLS keeps trying to gain ground, perhaps, but that doesn't seem to be happening. And all of the money, all of the popularity, the television rights, everything seems to be directed towards England. And what do you guys think of that? What are the reasons for this? I mean, it's not always been like that, but it seems to be the trend. Do you guys have any thoughts about this? Uh, Ryan, do you want to go first or shall I? Yeah, I mean, you, I was just thinking that, like, with um, investment, as you mentioned, like the MLS, and like, it's notoriously a bad league to be an owner in in, in the MLS. They say you know you, you're everything from stadium issues to salary caps, and you know, as you mentioned, not a, not an investment that a rich person is going to make a good return on. But it seems that it's fashionable for American. Um, owners of of other franchises, sports franchises in the U.S. like Todd Bowley, the Glazers, etc., to go and buy buy an American team. So the appeal popularity is from the top down, as far as they're getting the money from the television rights. Um, it's obviously fans the w- world over are being fed the product on on their screens, and then it's the appealing thing. Uh, British football in general is like the Hollywood stars who brought bought uh, Wrexham and all this. So it's, it's a moment um, and all of the capital seems to be directed in that direction. And, and yeah, I, I guess I see that, but I'm not really sure why. And we'll, I guess we'll get into that. Yeah. For me, it's like, um, it's almost when you're watching, you know, a sitcom or something like this or some really trashy, and then your partner's like, come on, like, let's watch one more. It's got that little, that tinge of something. There's like an addictive quality about it because you watch like Serie A, for instance, it's much slower, it's much more composed, but it doesn't have the frenetic quality, which I think appeals to an American audience who are used to like people banging into one another at high well, speed. In response, I mean, in that regard, the Bundesliga, of late has been just like the most insane uh end-to-end it's like hockey sometimes yeah <laughs> um but, but but yeah i mean no one cares about the bundesliga so the 
it's it's interesting because because yeah. like Ashwin, I saw Zlatan Ibrahimovic interviewed like a few years ago, and they were like, "What do you think about the Premier League?" And he was basically he's like, "It was exactly like what I thought." <laughs> it was he was like, it was, <laughs> "No, I can't do his impression." He was like, <laughs> "He's like, it was exactly what I thought, like really high pace, but technically like the worst league that I've played in." He was like, "It was extremely. It was like it was the easiest league." To, to play and you just you have to get used to the pace and that takes a few games but then once you do there's just people flying all over you and so you just you know you just the players that are better they just can slow things down and they just dominate the league um but there's something with the the, the Premier League has more parity than the Bundesliga it's like the bottom yeah. teams are really it is I mean it's maybe slightly cliched but it is it does seem like that to me pretty authentically that um the bottom teams in the Premier League, unless they're going up against City, they they feel they have, they have a chance at the points. Whereas even like the bottom twelve or fourteen teams in the Bundesliga are going to get thrashed by uh, yeah, certainly by this year too. The <laughs> teams look much better than they did before, and and now you've got like with teams like Gladbach losing all these players, um, and then getting just hammered not last week against Bayern <laughs> was it eight two in the end, but it could have been. It could have been eight two. I don't even know it. Six one. Six one. Yeah. It was much closer than that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but tell me something that when you looked through the ages, this is not something that has always been the case, right? This popularity of the Premier League in terms of um, if you right now, City and Liverpool, even though they haven't always uh, won the Champions Leagues in the last few years, but they certainly are the teams to beat, right? And this is thinking about the entire uh, gamut of, of, of European clubs. But if you think back, even from the last 20 years, when you look at the best players, Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, Zidane, apart from Thierry Henry, maybe Ronaldinho, all of these players haven't played in England. They, I mean, the Messi-Ronaldo era, that was in Spain. Only now, if you think of, okay, if there are two players who will define the next generation, whether it's Mbappe, Haaland, whoever, where do you reckon they will eventually land up? Do you still see them going to Barcelona and Real Madrid? I mean, it's definitely not happening. They're not going to Italy anymore. And even Germany are finding it hard to retain their players. The number of players that are moving from Germany to England is a lot higher than ever before. So all the investments yeah. over there, if you want really big salaries over there, this has not always been the case. This seems to be the trend in the last 10 years and, it, and it's skyrocketing in the last five. So, and the fact that the Premier League was a fast game, a pacier game, that's always been true. But somehow, I mean, the, the, the standard and the ways in which leagues have played, that's not changed altogether in the last few years. Something is... But the investment channels certainly have. So yeah. is this something strange to you guys? And what do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, the in terms of salaries or like wages, they just can't keep up. And nowhere else can keep up. Like you were, uh, you won't, I don't think you'll have another scenario like we did in, uh, when Mourinho was at Porto and he had a Champions League right. final of, Porto versus Monaco. Um, 
they've been flashing the pan crazy amounts of investment at some of these clubs occasionally, right? At Monaco, there's that Malaga experiment, experiment for a little while, um, but all these sort of just burn out the sustained top to bottom, like investment in the Premier League in terms of wages. Um, it's, you can't, you can't compete in the rest of the world. And so like the Barca's and the Real's will always be there. Barca Real, now PSG. Um, and yes, Juve, these type of, but with, so if you're a star, you, you'll, the Champions League caliber teams um, are going to be your only other options. And I think that won't stop unless Barcelona just implodes like they might in the long term, selling off all of their assets and uh, uh, we'll get into Barca. But uh, with, with the exception of that, I, I wonder if the, the Super League will be the next big, you know, there's, if there's tip of tipping the balance in the direction of the Premier League has been good for all of these teams in the Premier League. But as far as the, the rest of the Champions League teams, they still want more. And the, so I think that Super League might eventually be unrevived or something like that. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at interest just before to, to, to Hans point about the Super League. Uh, I wonder, and, and the Super League is basically been pushed because the revenues that are generated by television, right? Um, that is what the top few clubs in Europe want to have an exclusive hold over. How much do you think that plays in um, to the fact that television now has become, and it really doesn't matter how many people come to the stadium and watch. Is, is that one of the factors that has, has actually funneled so much money into England now? It, yeah, it definitely seems that way. I mean, in terms of what Ryan was talking about, I just looked it up uh, the Premier League on wages um, spends 2.3 million euros per player in terms of average wage, whereas the La Liga is 1.5 million. That's so huge. it's, yeah, it's 50% differential. I mean, you can't, yeah. you obviously can't compete it at that point. But at the same time, when like a Sevilla plays a United or an Arsenal or a Tottenham or whoever, or a West Ham, it's like, it's very clear that Sevilla is better and so is Villarreal and so is Valencia, whatever. So it's hard. It's, it's not necessarily translating to, to a better product um, in terms of the parity in, in Europe. But yeah, I mean, the TV rates is obviously the factor and there's obviously appeal in the U S um, you know, because of language, I feel like they've really figured out how to market to the U S and it was interesting I don't know if you noticed, Ram, but Arlo White is not in the mix anymore. Yeah. Um, the commentator. And he was, you know, I mean, we, we both had our thoughts about him. And um, <laughs> not, <laughs> but not positive ones. Not positive ones, but they, you know, they have this generic British sounding guy making all these platitudes. And then if you look at, even if you look at the way La Liga is covered, it's just the commentary, at least it seems to me, is much more sober and it's much more focused on tactical whereas the, the way the english game the commentators speak it's really like high flung they have this guy peter drury now and everything is the most everything is an excuse to enter into this like poetic poetic soliloquy it's like 
the tribalism, like, this is why we love the sport, the mm-hmm. tribalism. And he's just like, he, he's trying to like reproduce this like NFL kind of announcer situation. But in terms of the TV yeah. rights, it's bizarre that, you know, Barcelona is sold off, whatever, a quarter, you know, to a half potentially of their potential TV rights. So they must be, you know, banking on, I, I don't know. I mean, if that was it, then it's hard to understand why they would why they would um, sell off so the, much. The speculation might be that oh, the pot is going to be much bigger, so we can sell our twenty five percent or fifty percent of this. Well, and also remember like, they were desperate. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that level of desperation, though, I do, I, that's why one of the reasons I'm thinking they that they are anticipating a, um, oh, a, a super league. Fall? Yeah, it needs right because otherwise that's a huge gamble. Um, because you can't just like, where it's nuts how they're selling it out. You you'll you guys will talk more about Barca. I mean, that's insane to me. Yeah. So I wonder. I mean, with tele- sorry, go on now. No, no, go ahead, With television, I mean, the thing is that when you look at the markets, uh, when you look at the markets which which clubs are trying to attract, it's no longer the the city in which a club is located, right? It's Southeast Asia, China. Uh, the American markets, to, I mean, to a large extent. I, I India. suppose it, yeah. India. Oh, sorry. Yes, of course, India. I mean, that, that's become in the last 20 years. It's, it's huge now. I think there is something of market you said about language. It sort of becomes an easier product to sell. Of course, it is mediated by commentary, etc. But it's probably when you have a lot of the interviews and it just somehow... English, I mean, as a global language, and so um, it seems more accessible, the English league, for a whole yeah. host of reasons. And it's also an easier place for American investment. I mean, if you look at the top eight clubs now in, in England, I think, well, not the top eight, but at least eight of the 20 clubs in the Premier League, I think at least six or seven of those, I mean, apart from City, they all have pretty substantial American investment. So it's been one of the draws. I know Barcelona and Real Madrid have been trying to tap into the American market, but at no point have these billionaires or these billionaire consortiums, has there been any talk that they will actually buy up Inter Milan or something like that? Or maybe there has been, but I've missed it. So it seems like an easier place for a lot of American investment um, to, to go to. And then I mean, we are trying to analyze and understand why such disparity exists. And that, I think, is one of the main reasons that it's not just markets, but it's also where the investment's coming from. Barring Mm -hmm. PSG and City, all the American bankers want to invest in England. I mean, perhaps there is a longer imperial connections that, you know, we, um, which which translate into uh, sport as well. I mean, this is a business like any other, right? Ryan, you remember back in the day when I think the commentary is a, is a big deal to, to in sports. Remember back in the day we watched uh, Serie A and they would have yeah. a commentator. It would be a one-man commentary team and he wouldn't yeah, yeah. speak for, for 15 minutes of a stretch and then he'd come back and square ball from below. Like, it's, like, <laughs> it's like almost comatose, really chill, um, really soothing um, often. And, and even the way the Bundesliga um presents themselves it's not really seemingly geared 
from like a marketing perspective to capture to capture audiences that aren't already into the sport and understand the sport whereas the premier league even though the pro like the game might be terrible um but it seems like the premier league it's like geared up they they're like going well, go ahead yeah yeah well the bundesliga is actually an interesting one because since espn took over bundesliga in the us at least um they 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 put uh Derek Ray where he's like yeah. on it and they they kind of had this offensive of like a marketing offensive about the Bundesliga and the pitch that they went with was kind of like this is where the best young players are right. um and it's kind of an assumption that like well you know you're not going to find the best polished product here it's just like this is where you go to catch what uh, what you know is get ahead of the curve and see who's going to be playing in, uh, in England next. So. Yeah, as a last thing, I'm wondering the number of South American players that are now playing in England, mm. that's surprisingly high considering even 15 to 20 years back, I remember Gilberto and Edu were playing in Austin and that was an exception. Otherwise, most of the Brazilian players, Argentine, yeah. Uruguayan players, they always preferred either Italy or Spain. And the reason was always there's a cultural similarity. There is less problems with language. I suppose with information technology and the globalization of culture, which obviously is a process that has been at work for a very long time, but in the last... 15 to 20 years has taken on much greater ramifications and deepened. You don't really have that old feeling of homesickness as easily, mm-hmm. like Maradona. All these players, Pele never wanted to come. I mean, of course, and we're going back a long, long time now. But whatever you heard about those players, they couldn't adjust in Europe and they definitely couldn't adjust in England because of the cultural shock. That seems to have reduced quite substantially as a factor. Um, And I wonder whether that's also contributing to like now, this whole avenue of South America as a player farm is now open to England as well, right? Which was probably not the case even a few years back. Uh, Wondering whether that that also makes um, some difference. Yeah. Yeah, you mean the difference in terms of the popularity elsewhere? Right. Popularity, more of the good talent from yeah. South America want to play there. So it automatically becomes a more exciting league and so on yeah. and so forth. One, on, on that note, I mean, I think the turning point is really that Wenger team when uh, right. it was the first, he was the first team to feel the starting 11 with no British players. And then, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, they had like Manuel Petit, Patrick Vieira, Edu, um, you know, the whole the, the whole French especially but like the Brazilians and all that um, but if you think along that same time immediately thereafter in the early 2000s um, in terms of homesickness Manchester United right you had Diego Forlan Juan Sebastian Veron sort of these incredible players who were massive flops there and it was explained in terms of well you know they couldn't adjust uh, especially Forlan who then leaves and you know sort of runs that World Cup when the uh, when they made the ball right. very uh, very friendly for <laughs> striking, um, but I mean, but it's interesting. And if we think about the global reach of the Premier League on that, uh, when Eva Forlan's transfer to 
United, for example. Um, Manchester United was what, if you're in Bangladesh, like my cousins are, are United fans, you know, and there you first get initiated into the lore of the of a great club like that. And then if you're a young player uh, growing up in some other part of the, the world, Brazil or something, you, you might want to come play for United. Uh, United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, like you were saying with the Mbappes and the Hollands of the world. And now I wonder what do these kids um, who are star 10 year olds think when it's like, well, this week United lost to Brentford. Um, last week they lost to, to um, Brighton. I wonder if this like global, you have so many more options as a, as an well, probably just switch yeah. allegiances from one Manchester club to the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Should we... speaking of, um, like, I mean, okay, popularity and these big clubs, but in the first two weeks, did anything of interest come up in the, in the rest of the league where non-top six to you guys? Anything that struck you or that you feel that could be a good well, prospect start... for? I think we should start from the bottom or the false bottom, as it were, in terms of first thought about relegation, like promoted clubs. I really mm-hmm. thought like Fulham is a yo-yo club. I saw them come mm-hmm. up last time. Last time they came up, they bought a bunch of players that maybe they shouldn't have, but were like international names like Seri and Anguissa. Mm-hmm. And this time they didn't have that as much. They lost their star player to Liverpool. And, you know, it's like, oh, Mitrovic is, is still <laughs> up there. He scored three goals last time. And we've, we know what the, the deal is there. And at center back, there is good old American Tim Ream. Like, this team is not meant to draw against Liverpool and then uh-huh. draw again week two. Um, so I'm just, first off impressed that, like, the promoted teams seem much more competitive than I would have expected. Um, Mitrovic is Mitrovic is only 27 I feel like he's been 27 (laughs) for at least 10 years how is he still (laughs) he was a coup when they got him from Anderlecht at Newcastle it was like this is the next big you know uh, battering ram center forward who's got good feet and it just didn't work out the first time and then again at Fulham when they in the Premier League so good for him yeah I think the bottom of the league, I think this is the best, the most competitive league. Not, not that there's necessarily going to be more parity, but it just seems that, that, um, the, the quality from top to bottom in the league is, is very high. Like there's not a team that, I, that I'm looking at right now that's just a complete easy victory um, mm-hmm. for, for other teams. But they're usually one or two. Like Nottingham Forest, they get yeah. three points against, I mean, and they play really good stuff. Too. Yeah. Speaking um, of, yeah. since we're mentioning global, global capital, Nottingham Forest, what is the deal with not having a, a kit sponsor? I, I love it, but uh, it's it's like the only club in England I can think of that has no kit sponsor. Sorry? Is that out of ethical reasons? or I have no just... idea. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. It like, looks really nice. Um <laughs> Uh, that is interesting. <laughs> Since yeah, you guys are at the bottom of the league, um, Everton 
scrape by last time and yeah. they haven't started bingo i was gonna say what? mark there is a team that everyone that's true <laughs> that's true not what we expect that's true you know it's interesting they have um they, they okay they don't have calvert lewin for however long but they're really bad they're really yep. bad like they shouldn't it, it, it's true frank lampard is kind of like a tragic figure but they they have alex awobi of Arsenal lore playing center midfield this week. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and he looked all right, actually. He looks like their best player, um, but they look really bad. Um, they look, they looked really bad all last year, but Frank, Frank doesn't seem to have much of a, much of a strategy um, with the, with, with this team and letting Richarlison. I mean, I, I guess Richarlison demanded to leave, but Calvert Lewin is also, is a top top player, just so can't can't get healthy. That's the issue. Yeah, but I'm saying if he like can keep healthy, yeah. but if he can keep healthy, and this is the standard, he'll also just get bought up probably in the in the winter market. Um, yeah, you know, if if he needs to be, it's yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel bad for Lampard. <laughs> like, Do you? Okay, I was gonna ask what you mean by tragic figure because, like, I remember there was the stat towards the end of last year that, in terms of uh, forward passes and like. Jordan Pickford was like making more passes into the final third than any other yeah. other player or something like that, um, and it's it's just this little it's, he doesn't seem to have patterns of play that Lampard it seemed like it was a bad um, right. was a bad assignment at multiple levels not just in terms of well you'd need someone to to keep you up or in the relegation battle at first but now do you see do you see what he's trying to do? I just think there's some long ball here and there, and then otherwise, I, I'm very confused at what I don't see anything there. It's also not a good CV line that the team that you left in four <laughs> months, the next manager gets you to win yeah. the Champions League. I mean, that's just. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to stay on Everton, but. No, yeah, this look is at, good because. Look at their can... team sheet. Look at their right, team yeah. sheet. Yeah. Pickford and goal. Terrible. Holgate, Connor Cody, Tarkowski, Patterson. Then the midfield of Decore, Iwobi, Mikolenko, McNeil, Gordon, who's supposed to be, he's their number 10. He's supposed to be their main man. And Damari Gray. There, it's, there's not any reason why they should be expecting to beat any team. Um, there's not any player on that team that I think even any other team really, really wants. Um, so, so it's it's hard for me, even though I agree with you that tactically Lampard may be over his head, um, but it seems yeah, there's no standout players. Right? I don't know what anyone else could do with that with that team either. I mean, it will be in center midfield. It was a nice innovation. Like he looked really really good, but Pickford looks really bad. Pickford really does hoof the ball out of bounds all the time and start screaming. It's yeah. Like, it's like the main image you take away from a, from an Everton match. Like, He's like, come on! The, the injury to uh, Holgate, not Holgate, sorry, to uh, Godfrey in the first match where mm. essentially it happened because Pickford was, he just completely lost his composure and like came out and took his own team in. Like, when we talk about hospital balls, like this was an example of just if your touch was cleaner and if you weren't if you knew what you were doing, wouldn't in the end ram into him and put him in a position where he uh, exactly, yeah, 
Um, so, and, and yeah, I, I think I think they have more though in, than they looked so bad last year, and it's more of the same. He had a whole summer. There's enough here that they should be a mid-table team. Um, no, there's not. <laughs> I mean, Connor Cody was a good signing, I'd say. You know, he yeah. looked good at Wolves for a long time. Tarkovsky is interesting because of that, like Burnley being uh, sort of cut to pieces. You have Ben Mee at Brentford, and you figured, oh, I'll get Tarkovsky. Uh, he was supposed to be. Uh, he was sort of in England set up last year at one point. Uh, it's supposed to be an upgrade. Like, so... Right. I don't know. It's just you're right. It's this is a garbage team, but it's, they brought on, so much. They brought on they brought on yeah. Deli Alley in the eighty first. They were hoping he was going to be the match winner. Yeah, it's I, and I <laughs> the it will be. I don't I don't know about him in midfield. You you watch this game uh, this week. I didn't, but like la, the first week, he he just struck me as a winger playing center midfield very much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, he, he is. He is, but yeah. he's the type of player you root for. You know, you see he that is. he makes the pass, yes. and you're like, all right, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys have talked about Lampard and his um, shortcomings, where he did share the stage with um, another midfielder from England, Gerard, who's managing Aston Villa. And anything of note that you guys see in their play, in their performances this season? I know it's been a couple of matches, but anything that's struck you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this team. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because they set up exactly how I would set up um, on FIFA. Um, and so that's always a red flag. They did. <laughs> but in the first week, they played, um, they played a 4-3-3. And they have this young kid, Kamara, who's like a really good ball-playing um, central midfielder. And they played... Coutinho, Danny Ings, and Leon Bailey, and they brought on Buendia um, to play in like the other number 10 spot. Um, and it was really, it's just like a really elegant um, team. Luca Dina at left back, it's a really ball playing team, but they got completely overrun by Bournemouth. And I was like, man, like that Bournemouth hadn't just out muscled them. Um, and so I was thinking, oh, I hope they, I hope that this type of aesthetic or philosophy could, could work. Um, but then they changed to they changed to a back five against Everton, and they changed to um, Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings, and they dropped Bailey for the second match. But they still have these little like tacticians, and they still have Coutinho. I think is a player we're all rooting for. I would imagine, and so it's really nice to. And Leon Bailey is such a player, and Buendia is such a player. Um, it would it it seems like he's I don't know it's not necessarily what I would have expected from Steven Gerrard I don't necessarily it's interesting because Lampard I don't know what having watched him as a player I have no sense what his tactical pers- what of what tactical persuasion he would be on because he was just a box to box midfielder you know he wasn't a distinctive um, philosophy approach to his game but Gerrard I thought he might get a couple of tougher players in there because he loved those crunching tackles, but he seems to enjoy this, this, you know, the ball on the ground stuff. Um, and I really hope that, because on paper, in terms of the quality they have, it could be the type of team that challenges for like a, a Europa League spot 
um, and they're doing it with beautiful stuff. Um, but that's that could be optimistic. I don't know what you think. I mean, it could be the type of thing where they lose a few matches and they just revert and Coutinho gets injured and they just like sell him next year to Italy or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, for one thing, there's sustained investment from the ownership. So that's, that's encouraging. Um, I really am rooting for the Coutinho project to, to work again, though I think he's <laughs> going to be missing you know, with injury this next week. Um, I, I think Matty Cash might also be out with injury and he's like really important there. Their fullback. Uh, I sort of agree with you that I, I think at Rangers it worked. This the Jared sort of attacking philosophy, and it was nice to see kept keeping the ball on the floor. Right. Um, here, I, they just have too many players that haven't consistently stayed healthy and gotten and shown us. Like Leon Bailey is a great example um, of like I think he could be world class, but it's just he's been out for so long. Um, yeah, I think the you need more meat in the midfield if you're going to have such a, a freedom uh, freedom for players like Coutinho. And so a lot will turn on Kamara. And I just think this Jacob Ramsey might have that potential to, you know, become world class eventually. <laughs> um, so... So that's a big, I think there's a lot of potential there, but this is like scary because it's kind of with all these things up in the air, this is the kind of team that might just struggle in the long run, you know, because nothing's complete yet. But they did bring in, but they did bring in, sorry, the last thing is they did bring in Danny Ings, which is his only kind of concession to reality. He's like, this guy's going to get me, yeah. you know, this guy's going to get me 15 really scruffy goals. And he scored. I mean, he, he scored a really nice goal um, yeah. against Everton. So Ollie Watkins isn't going to get you the goals. So he made, I mean, that's a nice, that's like a very shrewd, shrewd purchase, it seems like. Yeah. It's interesting. You look at the lineup of Aston Villa and you compare it to one of the better teams in Spain, like Sevilla. And I, I do think that Aston Villa will win almost always. You put, I mean, I know that that's not how it always works out, but Sevilla played Arsenal, which obviously is in a higher bracket than Villa is, and they lost 6 0. I know it's a friendly, but that's still a telling that your main player is still Rakitic and so on. So I'm wondering what <laughs> that says about the different leagues. Well, speaking of. Um, you got, uh, a different league, I and mean, we do have. Well, I'll also in defense of Sevilla, there they their league starts later, so you know in that their preseason prep <laughs> wasn't as far along. Just yeah. I hope you're right because it'd be terrible to think that the number four team in Spain is is almost always going to lose to the number eight or nine team in in England, and and then they get thrashed yeah. by the top. Yeah, in fact, Ashwin, before you transition, it seems it's almost always the opposite when it actually comes yeah. time. Like <laughs> the random team that makes the Europa League from Spain will will beat the United or the Arsenal nine times out of ten. Yeah, just especially happens. Sevilla. They're they're they've been dominating Europa League for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope that continues to keep parity. Well, speaking of different leagues, um, there are two other leagues that began this week, uh, Italy and Spain. 
Well, Italy, top seven teams winning. And I mean, it sounds a bit odd. You have you not have a single upset. Did you guys manage to catch any of it from the Serie? A? I saw. I saw. I mean, I saw a bit. It's. It's. Um. It's hard to know. It's. It's hard. It's hard, to, it's hard to know. Like the tactics is so is so different than than the Premier League. It's hard to know if these if like. It, yeah, it's, it's just hard to get a sense of if the if the lower teams because sometimes the lower teams in Serie A are just really bad because yeah. they simply don't have the investment. But sometimes. It takes them a little while. I just imagine the off-season regiment in Italy not being what it is. That could be a complete stereotype, but I imagine it's just <laughs> it'll take a month to 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 before we see what's really going on in in Italy. Whereas like the Premier League, we're probably shooting these guys with steroids, you know, since <laughs> July, and <laughs> that's just my my prejudice. Yeah, it makes for a more competitive league, even though the standard is lower. Um, <laughs> Teams like Atalanta, Lazio, Roma, uh, Napoli, like they're all challenging, right? In one way or the other, the dominance of Juventus, Inter, and um, Milan. Like it's good you have three different winners in the last three years. I don't think you could say that of any of the other leagues in, in around the top five. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I think, I think there's a chance like Mourinho's project with Roma might. It might be a. It might have been a really smart move because I feel like, at the same time as there's more parity in those leagues, the top, although AC Milan was really, really quite good last year. Um, yeah. Aside from that, there's a real notable drop off in the rest of the league, so it's hard to tell if the parity is the bottom catching up or the top just um, receding. Um, well, yeah, Mark. I don't think it's the bottom catching up in Italy. I mean, it was a great. <laughs> Yeah, last season was fantastic because you know it's just the concentration towards the top, you know the and Juve being just terrible, miserable to watch towards the end of last season. Um, so why do you why do you, what do you think happened, Ram? Because yeah. like obviously we'll we'll talk about Barcelona, but with Xavi, we were talking about this last week. With Xavi, there was such a sense that. When you watch him play, you're like, okay, this guy's going to be the manager of Barcelona. Yeah. There's such a tactical sense to his approach. He was so diligent in approaching the job to Barcelona. He rejected the job, you know, like last year before, he, you know, when Komen took over. But Pirlo, essentially the same player, mm-hmm. or as close <laughs> as close as you're going to get, got completely thrown into Juventus, like, and then it was just awful. Like, what what happened? Yeah, I mean, part of it is personnel, right? Because you can't. Adrian Rabio was just is just a shell of the player he was at PSG. And don't tell that and, to the United fans. I mean, I think he's yeah. coming through. <laughs> yeah, um, that is that would be very interesting if that one goes through. Because uh, I can't imagine him being good in the Premier League at this stage. Um, you know, and then the same thing with um, at that he still had Aaron Ramsey at that point who. Um, again, it's just shell of a play, player, so it's hard. But to think, a big part of that I think is just like the drop off in quality. Um, but then the two other things are just that one Pirlo didn't seem to impose that style at all. It was it was not this tiki taka esque 
thing. But two, the Ronaldo was the big problem that, you know, this sort of everything had to go through him and Juve couldn't play a given style. It was just everything around Ronaldo. If he's going to be playing as lone striker and shifts out wide left, then everyone else just had to, you know, play to his pace. And so I, I don't, I think Pirlo to some extent started a losing sort of battle um, he's set up to fail, let's say. Uh, I know that's being generous because they still played terrible. Uh, yeah, but he was and thrown now, into it, right? Yeah, he was just thrown into yeah, the yeah. And... I mean, now they've made some positive moves. I think Vlahovic will be uh, like a great, like a top top striker. And if you put everything through him, he's young, he's mobile, he's strong. Uh, this could be he could be something to build your attack around. Uh, these classic Juventus signings of people like your your 35-year-old um, free transfer, <laughs> they're going to keep doing that and it'll work or not. I mean, Di Maria apparently had a good match this weekend. I didn't see it, but like, um, but you, you've got that, those things are going to keep happening. And But, you know, Locatelli, if he can stay healthy, uh, Zaccaria was a good, Dennis Zaccaria was a good signing, I think. So, I think Chiesa, Chiesa yeah. comes back, you know, he'd be... Yeah, that's your big... Exactly, if you have Vlahovic, Chiesa, they, the question really is, like, how can they get back to the level they were at the, in the Champions League? And I think I think that the attack is the big the big question mark, yeah. The, the fall-off of that team, though, is really remarkable. Like, the first year that yeah. Ronaldo was there, there was exactly. a sense, kind of a consensus sense that they were the best team in Europe. If not the best, yeah. then, like, one of the two favorites to win the Champions yeah. League. And like Delict, who's another IX player who just, it just didn't work for him. He could have went to yeah. anywhere in Europe. And I'm pretty sure he chose Juve over Barcelona, over and those two probably over everyone. And um, it just didn't happen for him at, at all. Yeah. And so I'm wondering what what happened. Because if you look at the the roster that they have now, it I mean, it, it's, it looks like a second or a third team roster as opposed to what they had like three years ago no offense to these players um, but it's still... at that point i mean it just wasn't happening in the it, it, that was fascinating because like douglas costa I mean, you and i <laughs> really loved him at that point too and i think it didn't go well for him because of his kind of off the field or like just off the field i don't even mean whatever he was doing at home i mean he's like spitting on the side <laughs> <laughs> at a Byron, you know, on the touchline, that was the final straw or something. So, um, yeah, and then Dybala, uh, Paulo Dybala was another major problem along with Ronaldo, you know, um, someone who's really talented and just, he famously said that thing when about um, for the Argentine national team that he and Messi play the same sort of positions. And yeah, like, yeah. Like, come on, man, you got it. This is a, a classic example of someone who just doesn't, it's too stubborn to adapt. <laughs> To new conditions. <laughs> you have that guy adapting to Ronaldo coming in. It was never going to work. To the mere messy man. Take your, to the mere messy man. Who are you going to go with? Well, um, speaking of messy, I know, Mark, you're itching to talk about Barcelona. We were going to hold on to that one for a bit. Um, Messi is not on the Ballon d'Or list. Does that come as a surprise at all? Um, that means he's not in the top 30 after having won the previous iteration. Ryan, I'm curious what you think, because I was asking Ashwin about it last week. Like, where do you think 
Messi ranks amongst the in other words do you think that there's a top team in Europe you know, outside of PSG that seems more of like a marketing organization to that would want him in their team like wages aside just strictly tactical ooh you mean like, like oh, could he could he yeah. get into like a top 4 premier league team i mean could he get yeah. into yeah, so? he's still he's still messy. It doesn't. I don't think. I think anyone would still jump at the chance and do what pe- teams have been doing with Ronaldo, um, in terms of like, okay, roll the dice. Bear in mind, Pep Guardiola was about to roll the dice on Ronaldo before he that whole right. United thing happened, which would have been a terrible idea for. Uh, I think anyone would still like if you told Pep tomorrow, like you can have Messi, he's gonna, you know, fill your right flank. He'd take him back in a heartbeat. Um, and especially in a like an infrastructure where the ball is moving according to reasonable patterns of play, you just tack him on as your number ten and the only one you kind of have to carry. Um, he creates still creates so much space because of the attention he you can't leave him free. So um, the P- PSG is just the opposite of a of a healthy infrastructure tactically or otherwise, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm no, I suppose he would be he would have a change role though because now with the high press and all the energy that's required it's okay doing that in France you stand around but probably I mean I think he, I agree with yeah, you so, that yeah go on. sorry I was just gonna say so that's why it maybe to be clear then it has to be a possession-based team like Pep I think could do a job with him where you don't need him to press at all and when you're in possession he's adding to your shape because he can just move wherever he wants and you're moving around the defenders just by having him, um, he, him standing especially. Whereas you're right, you can't press, but you can carry a pressable, uh, a player who doesn't press if you possess enough still. Um, he, he still has the quality. It's just weird seeing him, you know, we're all somewhat of a similar age. It's just weird seeing him not just clearly just going to dominate every match. It's like it's it's like it's yeah. it seems weird for him also. Like he's right, still kind of crazy experiment. Like imagine Arsenal trade o- Odegaard for him, Messi to, <laughs> tomorrow, right? Like Odegaard is <laughs> a great pressing attacking mid. As far as like I think that's underrated as far as an aspect of the game. He really helps the shape. So you'd lose that completely. But like in terms of Xhaka just slamming a pass into Messi um, yeah. and on the turn, you're just like, that's golden. He looks up and sees, you know, Saka Martinelli and Jesus. So I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good point. The quality I wonder is if still... the 10 is coming back. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Hey, what do you think, surprised? Well, I'm not surprised that he's not in the top 30. He definitely was in the top 30 performer last year. Took his time adjusting to, just in terms of performance over the season, not in terms of potentially where he is. I do think that um, this year he will be one of the contenders again, as he has been for the last 15 years. But again, I mean, yeah, go on. It's basically Liverpool's starting lineup <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's i mean it's ridiculous they have they have 
they have Fabinho, Trent, Luis Diaz. <laughs> they have their whole, whole back line. They have Sadio Omane from last year. I mean, it's a ridiculous, it's a very Premier League heavy yeah. um, list. It's like Premier League plus Real Madrid plus, you know. Shout like out to uh, Rafael Leao for making that because. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He's going to be world class once he makes the move. He already is world class. <laughs> yeah, he's almost there, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think it's one of those, they, they're probably just filling out this list because it's got to be Benzema, right? Am I? Right. Yeah, yeah, it has to be very clearly. They did change the rules a little bit this year. So it's now by season and not year, which is a very sensible thing to do. Because <laughs> the first three months of the new season doesn't tell you anything. So they've, they've changed that now. And also they've given some guidelines to that it's going to be players perform individual performances over collective achievements and mm. also the players um, sense of fair play uh, is going to be taken into account. I think they also changed that it's the votes are now going to come from only the top 100 uh, ranked teams in FIFA, their coaches and captains rather than mm. the entire list. Uh-huh. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think this year it's been clear. It's Benzema. There's no one even close to challenging for it. Um, I think it's going to be a very clear victory in the way that hasn't been in the last uh, at least five years since Ronaldo won in 18, I think. Or six, unless, unless there's seven. like a doping, unless there's a doping controversy in the next <laughs> like month. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, Barcelona. Did, did you guys watch the match? Um, they already seem off the pace a little bit. Madrid came back and won, which is always a good sign, right? To show a certain solidity and um, resolve. But Barcelona, I mean, that match, it was Rayo who actually had the two clear chances. And, and Barcelona looked off. I mean, they, they had a lot of possession, as they always do, even when they lose 3-0. But it was the other team which is playing. I mean, Rayo is not really. I mean, I know they've done well against Barcelona over the last couple of seasons, but you'd expect that Barcelona, coming off a pretty good preseason, having reinforcements, would win this comfortably, and if not, make a lot of create a lot of chances. And but none of that really happened. It was. In the end, it was actually Raya who probably could have won that. I mean, they had two very, very good chances that should have finished. And it wasn't like Barcelona had many clear-cut chances. What do you guys think? I mean, I know it's early days, but any uh, telling times? Okay, my main thought from the match was Frankie de Jong, I think, is Barcelona's best player. That he made such a statement when he came on. His the difference between him and Busquets is absolutely wild because he was red carded. He was red carded. <laughs> <laughs> but he, when Frankie De Jong came on, he came on. You know, I, I don't know in what minute, but he came on. In, let's let's say 60th onward. He he gets the ball from the center back, and then whoever's trying to press him, De Jong beats whoever's trying to press him. And if he wants to, carries the ball for 40 yards. 
he did that every he did that every time whatever he wants he just he just gave the little shoulder fake to the person and, and went past him which is exactly what we haven't seen him do in the last couple of years because he's in this like awkward congested space uh, on the side and there's nowhere for him to run into so that was the main thing where i was thinking if he's just in the team from the beginning it gives them so much more dynamism because when busquets is in the team i think barcelona is is really it, i was i'm really surprised i don't know if you guys are i'm re- i saw rafinha play let's say it was 30 times or last season i do not think he's better than the other players on Barcelona. I don't understand how he, why they make a huge signing of him and he automatically slots in. So my yeah. sense of their performance was, it looks really good. They have paid, he played Pedri, Busquets and Gavi. So obviously three, you know, technicians. And then in, up front, they just give it to Rafinha and Dembele. And this must be Xavi's vision that those guys, it's like controlled in the midfield. And then up top, it's just completely frenetic. Yeah. But it looked, the lack of quality of Rafinha and Dembele is like really noticeable. You know, we're talking about like when Messi slot in, like Messi would have scored three goals that game. It's the, the defense was there for the taking and these guys play way too fast. They're running as hard as they can as soon as they get the ball. And yeah. I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm really trying to understand. They have on the bench, they have Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, Memphis Depay, and Aubameyang and Adamatrare wasn't even on wasn't even on the bench, so I don't understand what they're doing because it just. Hang on, I thought Adama went back to Wolves. What's Did he go back to Wolves? I thought he's he's, yeah. He's gone oh, back. so what's the deal with that? Even like I don't. <laughs> you, like, yeah. He came. He played yeah. really well, and it was working. And then they just sent him back in in, in order well, to sign. Well, the Adama thing was a bit cultural. That was interesting because he came, he had a couple of games where uh, most of us thought he was really, you know, doing really well. But the stereotype among some of the Barcelona media was that, you know, this is just like his bullying people and, you know, not playing the Barcelona way, just too direct. Um, And then he lost his place because Dembele just started playing out of his mind. So second half of the year, it was clear they weren't going to be sort of continue his loan or look to buy from that loan. Um, it, the the Dembele thing is the consistency with him is just going to be an issue, right? But like you have to have that one player that I think he's proved that he's worth it, at least for the first 10, 15 matches. If he gives you like absolute nothing, like you can, you can deal with that inconsistency, right? Um, Why? It has to but, be, yeah. it has, sorry to interrupt you. And I'm really one of the last people to play this card, but it has to be just straight racism because it's not that Triori was working out. It's that he was far and away their best player. They yeah. were feeding, they were feeding him the ball. No, no, and he was, I think, well, and then and he then, just lost his spot to, yeah, to Dembele. I think that that is totally what was happening with the, um, with the commentary in the media in the Barcelona media. It was basically that this guy, uh, is just direct even when he was like taking people on and like doing it wasn't and this other narrative was that oh the final product isn't there well it was there it was um, there but what about Rafinha's final product I think oh. the feedback loop was happening from the media into like it got in his head because then he, <laughs> performances dipped you know yeah because performances <laughs> dipped and then toward the end it made sense that he lost his place to Dembele 
but my hunch is that the like the logic i agree with you in general that like the rafina signing going to such lengths makes no sense made very little sense to me when you have all this talent on the wings but i think the idea was that they were going to re-sign dembele and you'll take the inconsistency from him and rafina is going to be consistent as far as someone who's going to you know everything from pressing and winning it back to just like giving you he's going to be the consistent winger of Dembele is going to be the uh sort of ace um you know wild card what about Ansu Fati and I yeah I think the thought is that he's got to prove his fitness and a little bit I I don't really know um I don't know what you thought I didn't try to interrupt you Sorry, like, I don't know what you thought, yeah. Ashwin, but my sense when Ansu Fati came on was that he was notably a better player than Dembele and um, and uh, Rafinha because yeah. they're playing against yes. this team. There, there's so much space, and he's just he just plays at a slightly slower level, and he just found the spaces. Like, yeah. it made an instant decision, an uh, instant impact. Fati is definitely a more intelligent player. Dembele seems to have this problem which has been sustained with him ever since he's come to Barcelona. His decision-making is very poor. Like, it's yeah. you, it really, really, I mean, it's something that you imagine improves, especially when you've played two or three years with Messi and not just played, but also trained with him and so on. And he's one of the most intelligent players ever to have played the game. It's He's still relying on he'll kick the ball past and then try and outrun the other player, which is, I mean, that can't be your only tactic, especially if you're playing on the wings. You expect it, and in a team like Barcelona, where slick passing is so important. Fati is is that way. I mean, even though he's younger and he obviously, those injury problems persist, um, there's, there's an intelligence, which is why I think even Messi enjoyed playing with him a lot more in the little time that they did have together when Fatty was not injured. So that, that, that's something that's, I mean, if Dembele has to keep his spot and do what he's expected, I mean, what they're hoping, that has to change about his game. The other thing is, I thought Abumayong was doing reasonably well for you know, a striker uh, yeah. last year. He even scored, I think, in the Classico and they demolished Madrid. Lewandowski obviously is an improvement, but remember these players are aging, right? They are, and he's, he's not part of the yeah. Barcelona system. And it's it's that one year when you suddenly lose. I mean, you you you're off the track, and so and it, it doesn't work out. I don't know. I'm not saying that that's happened with Lewandowski yet, but I think it's going to take a while for him to understand how they play together, what Javi is trying to do. And whether whether he can adjust to that kind of game, he's obviously a great player, and even at 34, I imagine he can make the transition. But I don't think it happens immediately. It, it takes a little bit of time for all these things to happen. And same thing. Um, I don't know if you guys managed to watch the Madrid match. They 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 managed to come back and win, which is always a good thing. But they did try things. They did. They started Kamavinga. They started Chamani. These are the future, right? These are the players who are actually going to take this club ahead when Modric and Cruz uh, are, are moved on. 
they didn't actually do it so they had to bring back those players and then just to win but at least that's a club which is going somewhere they know who they need to um replace and 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 well did you guys watch any of the other spanish games yeah i saw i saw the madrid match and like that's what i'm saying with with dembele and rafinha it seems like the pace of the team of barcelona is really dissonant like certain people are trying to play at one speed and other people are trying to play at another speed and it just didn't work at all whereas madrid it's very coherent even when they weren't looking so good in the first half it's still everyone's playing at the same at the same pace um madrid looks i, I thought watching that match that madrid in my in my mind is again maybe the best team in Europe because Chomeni and and Kamavinga even if it doesn't work out immediately it's very clear that at least one of them is going to be if not both of them are going to be you know at the absolute pinnacle um and and Vinicius Jr I was talking around like Vinicius Jr has elevated his game even further he seems like he's like the man now he has like that kind of brazilian swagger um that you would expect of 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 someone who's a, the the star player of Real Madrid so he was and i i think it's funny that Cruz and Modric still kind of just have it um, like <laughs> did you see the the David the David Alaba free kick i mean they they can they, David Alaba c- comes on <laughs> And it is for his first touch of the ball, he puts a free kick top corner, <laughs> like a decisive, <laughs> the decisive free kick. I mean, the quality through that team is, um, it, they just seem like a very seasoned um, team and they're integrating the youth really like sensibly. It just looks much more coherent organization as compared to Barcelona. I have like no idea what, what's happening um, mm. over there. Well, speaking of coherent organizations, you should talk about <laughs> United. Uh, well, see, there's nothing much to be said about the performance, right? Um, the thing is that when things are looking so bad, you don't want your keeper to make two really bad errors right in the beginning. It sort of collapses the game, and the first twenty minutes they'd already lost heart. But Ryan, I know you had some thoughts about this a couple of weeks ago when when we were discussing whether Ronaldo is the problem or the solution or is the solution to the problems that he creates this is a straight question though if this is a team that needs to accept that we need to it's it's ground zero we need to build would you keep ronaldo would you keep him as anything as a person who influences the next generation teaches them a certain discipline maybe even improves the striking instincts of people like martial or whoever else they bring in or is it like get rid of him that's the only way you're going to actually accept that this team needs to be rebuilt from scratch and while he's there he's going to take up too many of the headlines which he continues to do what would you do if you were ten hag yeah i mean even i mean i know it's easy to think it, it seems like rebuilding from scratch is what what you want at united but that's been the case for like 5 years now i don't think you really need to rebuild from scratch but you do need to get ronaldo out of there and just you know, take what you have and switch well, it around what do they have what do they have what they do have is you know like i think lisandro martinez if you give him a 
chance is going to be a good, you know, I think he can, he, he can elevate to the level required. Um, Which position? Just, yeah, that's a good question. Like, is he actually going to be, have to convert into a holding mid or something? Maybe, but I think he could play, you know, the, the center back in the Premier League now. There's no reason he really can't as a ball playing defender. Um, but yeah, he's obviously new and we can't say he's, much yet. I think he's you five have to foot get, eight. He's five foot eight. It's fine. You know, kind of RO was, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. I know that's a problem, but, and especially if the number nine really comes back, that will be an issue, but I'm not convinced that it will. Um, but I, yeah, you're, you're right. There isn't like Martial and Ronaldo both have to go. We were talking Sevilla briefly. Martial looked terrible on loan last second half of last season at Sevilla. Um, he's just, you know, Spanish league, English league. He, he's not the the answer. If you get rid of Ronaldo, at least you, what you really have is you still have all the potential that Jaden Sancho, you know, has. Is I don't know what, you know, when he's going to show it, but he was he looked like the real deal various times over the last couple of years and. You have to, yeah, the young players, like, I don't know who, what's salvageable for from Rashford, like, what's up with his head, but I don't think Ronaldo's helping any of these, you know, if they're going to, you're going to get something out of these players who have immense potential and ability just at the last Euros, um, then they need to be freed from the Ronaldo, you know, situation. Uh, but yeah, with or without him, they just, that's not looking good for United, is it? Well, the other thing is that, I mean, I heard Gary <laughs> Neville saying that, oh, the Glazers need to leave when they haven't invested in the club and so on, which is not completely true because they have been buying players and so on. Yeah. It's another matter that not all the best players want to come to a team that is sixth at the moment and, and doesn't seem to have a core and plan um, or a structure. But what do you think is reasonable to expect of owners, considering that contrary to popular belief, running a club is not necessarily a profitable enterprise. They have a lot of revenues, but they give it most they give most of it to Messi and Ronaldo. But you know, so, so how, how does that what do you think is 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 a reasonable expectation what what do you that 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 the fans can have of club owners right now and what do you feel would you feel a change in ownership might actually do something for this club it's an interesting question because i feel when i think about a club the problems in a club my head immediately goes to whoever's managing their transfers or managing their overall strategy and that seems to be the, the problem. Unless, what I would expect in the owner is someone who defers to someone, but you have to defer to the right person. I was never convinced that the right yeah. person at Arsenal was Edu. I feel like, he, yeah. I mean, maybe this year is coming right, but I was never convinced. At United, I don't understand. Like, even like in that same interview with Zlatan, he was saying, he's like, I hated playing at United because all the ex-players... We're just constantly talking about how we're not living up to their legacy. And Zlatan's point was like, either shut up or get a job within the club and actually just shift 
just do it. Just do the job. Like, why is Gary Neville? Why is Gary Neville just not running the club? You know, or or I mean, probably because he because of the disaster. Well, I don't know. They they try that with like you know, Darren Fletcher has. I, I, I know. Kind of think, I, yeah, that's kind I, of the issue with them in terms of compared to Liverpool and what what they had in terms of a clear outside, uh, yeah, outside football experts. Brentford, the same thing, um, and the same at the Amex with uh, Brighton. You have a set of very um, forward-thinking, statistically minded uh, recruiting staff, and at United for a while, the Edward Ed Woodbury era was just awful, and everyone sort of keyed in that that was the problem towards the end, and then he left. And what do you, what now? It seems like more of the same potentially. Um, but this summer they didn't make those, any more of those stupid signings, right? Like until the last few weeks, it's now talk that they want stupid signings, but that's not because of um, recruiters saying anything. It's like, isn't it Ten Hag who wants this guy, like Arnautovic, and like you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm so, sorry, Arnautovic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it would be one thing if it was from up, up on high, but I don't think it's up on like right. Uh, the story I thought was. Ten Hag wants his old boys together, and so he he wanted Ericsson, he wanted the Ajax guys, and he wanted Arnautovic, I think. So um, I don't think appointing Ten Hag was a mistake, but it's maybe it's just like something's in the water that you just go to that club and suddenly everything you, you your decision making goes down the drain. I don't know. Something. Go on. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. It's interesting what you say about like who who recruits. I mean, obviously, managers sometimes they do have a say. Sometimes they have less of a say, like we've seen in Barcelona um, over the years. But if you've brought in Ten Hag, who's played, oh sorry, who's managed this team, he's not brought anyone with him. So when I'm thinking back to these rebuilds, for instance, when Mourinho came to Chelsea, right? It was the start or somewhat at the start of the Abramovich era. So he brings with him, uh, I think it was Carvalho when he signs Czech, Didier Drogba. So he has the four or five players, Alex uh, Manish, I think was there. He signs a few players who, okay, this is the core that he's right. brought with him and he's going to work with these players. That doesn't seem to be happening with United or a lot of these teams. Um, it seems like you you have to first. Uh, sorry, I mean, in fact, I'm going to also when you think of Klopp, Klopp built a team over some time. It wasn't like the team that he was that he inherited. Um, right. He built a team over some time. I'm not going to say Pep because Pep keeps buying and selling. You know, it's it's it's, it's not very well thought out. A lot of his signings are are are, are not the best, but doesn't seem to be working that way with United. I mean, he doesn't see, there's not a single signing that this chap's actually made. Um, maybe Martinez and so on have come, but they're still- Yeah, young. I mean, he this brought, is, Martinez, he yeah. brought Malasia as well, which I think will come good. Like these seem like sensible younger players mm -hmm. to bring in, that even if you miss, you know, it's not you're missing on a 35 year old. Uh, like even, I mean, to be honest, I think the Varane transfer was also good. And Varane's still not 30. Um, yes, he gets injured a lot, but uh, that's a you know, world-class center back that you have. He's 29? 
it's 28. Yeah. Oh, 28. Wow. Yeah, it's been around for a while. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I did not realize that. Yeah. You may so, have a problem with motivation. You know, after you won a World Cup and five Champions Leagues, I mean, it's, it's hard to sort of remain at that level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, injuries, big thing. And I, I think one thing with Ten Hag also is that, look, you can't get Ronaldo off your books. Uh, so you come in as a, a manager who turns players, improves players, and you probably have the thought that I can make, you know, Rashford come good and Sancho yeah. and like you know, they, like Ahmad Diallo and what's the other game? They sweeted him, Ilanga. You know, he sees mm-hmm. talent among these attackers and it's like, oh, if yeah. I could just do something different, right. uh, I could be the one that fixes it. So I don't, I, I don't think this transfer strategy has been that bad except for the big cogs that you can't, you haven't moved first, whether Ronaldo, you got to get rid of McTominay and Fred. Like, so yeah, I don't think it's a total rebuild. It's just like, once you get rid of those guys, then, then you actually have the space you need. Yeah. Yeah, my, my sense is my sense is with United that he he tried to play Ericsson in the yeah. in the central midfield role, which hypocritically is exactly what I was calling for, but it just looked awful. Like it just it looked it looked like you know he's trying to play this IX style with like really bad players that are used to it that are used to a different style. Yeah. And so he's having like De Gea play out of the back. To uh, I mean to to either I mean Fred, let's just be frank. I mean Fred is Fred is no longer up to the level. Fred Fred is Fred Fred is a bad is a bad um, top flight player. <laughs> no disrespect to the man, but um, he's I don't think he's outplayed his counterpart in, in a single match I've seen in the last year. So then you have hang on no, he had his he hit his peak last year with that stop and go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, it's just, it's so, it's the type of team, it's like you're going to press. So to your point, Ashwin, it's like, he tried to bring in his man. He tried to bring in De Jong, but De Jong didn't want to come. De Jong Jong really could turn the team around, but I actually don't see um, what what Ryan sees, like talent in the wing players. I thought, like, if these players were really, um, like, Langa and Malasia, and um uh yeah like rashford martial sancho i feel like if they really had something uh i would have seen it by now even just like little sparks whereas you just it just looks really bad like united as soon as they go down a goal they're like they're like okay okay we need to score what are we but they have all this energy and then they realize they just don't have the, the quality that's why i even though i've always had a distaste for ronaldo i still think he's far and away their best player um he's just like so i don't think he's the problem like at all like he, he so, would so be hold, hold on so, so rehan said that and i agree with rehan that they should get rid of him and you know send him really far away you don't <laughs> think so no think no so like keep him if they were look i would say united on form right now is like the 16th best team in the premier league if you went and told the 16th best team in, in the Premier League. Oh, the form their bottom. <laughs> yeah, well, inform their bottom. But if you told any of the other bottom teams at a strictly tactical, hey, you can have Cristiano Ronaldo this year, they would be like, yeah, we'll take him. That sounds great. 
But the thing is, United have a self-image of themselves as better than that. So then they imagine that Ronaldo is the problem because, oh, we want to play this attacking, um, pressing style in Ronaldo. But they're just a really bad team. So well, I think if well, you take... United are also trying to get into the Champions League challenge for titles. You know, most of the other <laughs> teams, they're trying to survive. So come on. <laughs> no, but I, I, of course, I'm being like slightly hyperbolic, but I yeah. really... Well, I, and I think that's, that's a, maybe your point is an answer to a different question. But like, if you slotted him into a, a place where everyone else just was at the level, could he mm-hmm. be great? You know, and not the problem. And I think that is the case. Like he could be the number nine for a team like lone striker for a team that's just really good and score both loads of goals and not be an issue even if he doesn't press but when you don't have him at, at you know that level of team and you have these younger players who might come good might not that's when i think it becomes a problem you know that right. you can't my, 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 my sorry to interrupt my point is yeah. is, no, is is that <laughs> you're used to it my point is that like united are really bad you take away the jersey and you just see these people playing. Yeah. They're, they're really bad. <laughs> they have Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo is a really good player and he's a complete nutcase. He's not going to allow himself to be on a team that is uh, like a bottom half team. He'll either, like, he'll, I, I can't imagine him like allowing that to happen. I think if you take him away, like this happens to teams. Like it happened to Leeds. It happens to teams. Like these teams that were once like legendary clubs just go drop precipitously. And I, if you take away Ronaldo from this team, unless you insert another world class striker, okay, he's going to give us twenty goals, and that will at least will will grind out some one nil victories. That what do you have with United? You you have a front line of uh, Rashford. Martial and Ericsson in the false nine, what he tried for the first match with Fred McTominay and a, and a back five. Is that well? I think that's part of the thing. Like, he there's so much money tied up there. Once you get rid of him, then you can afford to get someone who's yeah, it you gives know, you a chance to rebuild, right? I mean, or build. I know that you're you saying it's not replace him right scratch. away with someone who's 25. Yeah, like, right. Also, if he were as effective, then it's strange that not a single. Right. <laughs> club wants him, right? I mean, if even I, I don't, I, I don't imagine having this conversation. I wouldn't have imagined having this conversation even two years ago. Ronaldo wants to go. There will be a couple of teams which want him. Everyone needs strikers. It's not like there are yeah. strikers out there right well, now. No is, one wants him. This is the question. Early in the summer, he was linked to Chelsea. Obviously, they didn't want him. Um, and maybe that is the mark. Do you think if he takes Havertz's spot at Chelsea? Yeah. How do you think that goes? Ronaldo, I hate to say it because I've always, you know, you see Ronaldo score the goal and he rips off his jersey and he flexes with his 16-pack. It's it's hard to like this man on a certain level. But I, he still has it. He still, he I still think, has it. I think you plug He's, him in Chelsea and actually that fixes all their problems. He still has because it. We've got to talk about the Chelsea game maybe next because, yeah. Well, before we talk about Chelsea game, um, the thing is United are playing Liverpool next. Now, that's the game last season, which cost, well, not cost, but that is the, that's the game when they said that, okay, we were done with Solskjaer, um, which was 
for, for many three years too late. But um, where do you think Liverpool is at the moment? They've started with two draws. They did have a lot of chances in, in, in the second game against um, Palace. They didn't convert. Obviously, Nunes gets himself sent off. What do you guys think of that game? Now, Ryan, tell me if you agree, because my sense, I, I was telling Ashwin like last week, a uh, random prediction is that, you know, that there's going to be a huge drop off from Liverpool this year. Um, that there's at least a potential yeah. for the, for the, even like this, for them not even to finish second um, or yeah. just a huge like 20 point drop yeah. off because they simply, their midfield is simply not good. Yeah. We um, talked about so this the first week as well. Yeah. Yeah. But it's come good. Like, the, like it's it's what's happened um, in two games in a row. Like, yep. they're playing against um, – even even this last uh, performance against Palace, they dominate. But they dominate in, like, the most ridiculous way by – they're whipping in crosses. They're yep. just constantly whipping in crosses and then running frenetically for the second ball. And they don't have the same – they don't have the same quality as uh, they – I mean – Unless Nunez comes right in and is like a thirty-goal scorer, they they simply bypass the midfield. I mean, their midfield was Fabinho, uh, James Milner, and um, the Harvey Elliott. I mean, yeah. it, it, so, so I I feel like it's a it's not obviously they're they're going in my sense is they're going to dominate United like that's a perfect team for them to play, um, but that that they're just not on the the level like as a and Zaha were able to get in on them in like a 2v5 situation. They're just, they always try to go for the offside trap and right. they're just way too vulnerable. Like, it, I don't understand that strategy. Why, do they, why do they don't just drop off? Because they, it's like Liverpool, unless they score during their periods of like frenetic, all it requires is just a simple through pass and, and you're in against them. Um, so if Van Dyke or Allison just drop their level a little bit, um, it's a huge problem. That's my sense. Mm. Yep. Um, I, I want to put something out there for just as we have left United, just uh, uh, out on a limb. My long-term prediction is that I think Sancho. Sancho. No, I think Sancho is going to come good this year. I don't, don't know why I feel like I need to say that. It's like, put, put United are going to come good? No, no Jaden Sancho. Sancho. Just Jaden oh, Sancho. Sancho. Okay. The rest oh. of them, not so much. I think they finished seven. Um, but seven. yeah, but the thing with Liverpool, it's just, it's interesting. If this was, this was the last two matches of the season, we'd be talking about, oh, man, they lost, dropped four points against City. And you can't, I think this title race is, is done already. But it's as far as like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, think, totally. I think they'll I mean, be Austin, fine. I was going to win it already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, maybe that, not that part. But I think they'll be fine as far as uh, top four finish easily. But the, I think City, um, you can't drop points against Fulham and Crystal Palace if you're Liverpool and when City's winning, you know. Um, it, four it's, points not just huge. That, it's not just that they drop points. It's that they deserve to have dropped points. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's like the type I, of thing they... I think they... Harvey Elliott, I, I think he's good, but I don't think he's that level. Like, he, he was, a couple of years ago, it was like, oh, this guy is he's got potential to be you know the next yeah if not world-class sort of England center mid of the future or something and he's changed positions which is something that is is difficult to do for a winger into midfield or something but 
I don't know. I, I think they they need a lot more in that center midfield. If you had three Fabinho's, they'd be fine. They'd only have one. So um, I don't think they'll finish. I don't think they'll win it. And I was in that first, in our preseason episode, I really thought that uh, Chelsea were going to struggle. But I now I, I don't think that's going to, I think they might finish above Liverpool. So just based off of what we've seen last 180 minutes. Well, the thing is that the width, um, I remember Alex Ferguson saying this um, in, in many, many years ago that a club team usually has a three or four year cycle and then mm. things have to be changed, players have to be replaced or whatever, especially in midfield and where, where you know, a lot of the game is won or lost. Um, so if Liverpool, I mean, they may have reached that stage and, and who knows what happens this year, it would be interesting. But if Liverpool's a team which, which may have declined from last year just a bit, the two teams that you expect more out of, they, well, they faced off, Tottenham and Chelsea. Mm. They um, <laughs> wasn't the slugfest that, Mark, you thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> they both played 3-4-3. They stuffed midfield, but it was still a very feisty, exciting match. And and who do you think be the happier with the result? No, I think well, Tottenham. Because the first 75 minutes, Chelsea were just better. Um, <laughs> and like a, I, I know you're saying 3-4-3, but like in that first half, that was a five in the back for Tottenham. You know, that's that's one of the nice things about that, you know, the wing back system that it re- there was five four and Harry Kane, and, and they were defending deep. Um, yeah, you could really see the confidence when someone like Reese James like tries the outside of the foot crossfield mm. pass, where when like everyone saw it coming, it doesn't work, but he doesn't even mind. Like he comes right back, like he's <laughs> yeah, the yeah. yeah. Chelsea felt very comfortable in, in possession. Um, I thought tactically it was re- interesting that the. Uh, Conte and uh, Jorginho again. The limitations didn't prove to be an issue at all. Like Conte's presses, wins the ball back, errant pass here and there. But there's also always a Chelsea player to sort of uh, mop up. Sterling looked good, even if he wasn't uh, clinical. Um, yeah, they they just looked better all around, which. Um, Maybe isn't worrying if you're Tottenham, but you definitely, I guess, away from home, kind of, um, they they expected this and sort of an old old school Conte team, but they'd take it, yeah. Whereas Chelsea must be disappointed. Yeah. Chelsea, uh, Chelsea is so much better than Tottenham. That was my main takeaway from that match. <laughs> like Chelsea, Chelsea can't score. Yeah. They have Havertz as a number nine just doesn't seem to make any sense. Like I don't, I, I don't see it at all. Which actually speaks to Rahan's point about if you replace Havertz with Ronaldo, right. that'll probably work out quite well. I mean, it may not happen, but right. they really have a problem up top for the last year and a half now. I mean, or, the thing is, Havertz can get get turned on a defender really well, and his first touch is fantastic, like world class. Yeah. But he can't get his shot away, yeah, and exactly. that's that's just a problem. If you, especially if you're in this type of system where these, you know, you've got um, your your wing backs are high, uh, there isn't going to be that much space in the box to like he needs too much time to get a shot off. So, yeah. 
it doesn't even need to be a traditional number nine. You just need someone who just rip it at that point. My, my confusion is always why it didn't work out with Lukaku. Like that's, it remains a huge enigma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, because that midfield, okay. Like it, for me, Chelsea is better quality all around the pitch, except for Son and Kane. They're, they're better yeah. at every single position. Um, but it's this, it's the midfield. They have Conte and Jorginho. They they absolutely they absolutely bossed the midfield. And so Tottenham, I don't know. I don't really, I don't really. I'm not afraid of Tottenham. Like if I'm yeah. pretty much any team in the league, I'm just like okay. They're they're compact, but they're not great in the back. Like Eric Dyer is still their main, you know, the the, the middle of the three. Or it, like your to your point, it tends to be a five. Like yeah, it tends just, to be a five. It's really not dynamic. Like, yeah. but they are like well organized at the back. They're well organized, but that's they're the not. Thing. When they want to hit you on the counter, it's just they can, to their credit, it's like they can take pressure for seventy minutes like this and just be in it. When, it's true. Yeah, and oh, I mean, another thing we just mentioned. I just mentioned Kulibali. <laughs> he looks amazing. Yeah. <laughs> The the goal is fantastic, but then yeah, otherwise he's fantastic. so comfortable on the ball. As yeah. like, I mean, he's basically like a holding mid when he gets it. Like, just like it rolls over it and looks to the left, shifts it back. He's, um, yeah, I think he's just an improvement over Rudiger, which is wild to say. That's what I think too. Yeah. Rudiger looked really bad this week for Madrid, like really bad. It was a focal point of the commentary. Like, what what's this guy doing? Um, so it seems like Madrid really misjudged, misjudged that 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 transfer. I think market. he'll settle. He'll be fine. But it's yeah, not that. I, it's not that. No, I'm not saying he'll be a disaster. I'm saying they've had the chance to get Koulibaly oh, right. um, for years, and yeah. they didn't. And so they made this investment in Rudiger, who just seems like not just not at the same level um, from from my perspective. But oh and yeah, so that talking new signings just to round off like Chelsea new signing. Cucurella also looked really good. And I yeah, didn't he think he really good an upgrade from uh, Ben Chilwell, but like, man, he's yeah. Is it the hair? It adds <laughs> a certain the aesthetic. Doesn't it give a certain aesthetic quality? Like it makes it look yeah better. Like it makes it look like he just did something. And maybe yeah. Ooh, speaking about that hair, the hair was that, that a red can... card? Yeah, <laughs> that was a clear red card. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. How does that happen? You, you can't just pull someone's hair. I don't really understand. No, I, remember, I remember Ronaldo in his first Champions League match for Juventus. The, there, were no, there was no VAR at that time. <laughs> the referee spotted it and sent him off immediately. And Ronaldo was like really shocked. And, but you can't pull someone's hair. And here, what's disappointing is, okay, Taylor misses it. English referees are the worst for a reason. But then the video referees... He misses it too, and it's Mike Dean. He's also yeah. like the bottom of the pit referee. <laughs> a really pathetic decision. So you understand yeah. Tuchel's annoyance at the end, which he obviously yeah. showed. Ashwin, what do you what do you think of that uh, that that belly to belly confrontation there? Well, it reminded me. I mean, obviously, Stamford Bridge touchline. You know, it obviously creates a lot of energy amongst managers. You see. Mourinho and Wenger, Wenger yeah, yeah, yeah. calm temperament. He pushes <laughs> Mourinho. But I, I, I mean, the thing is, I understand Tuchel's frustration. Obviously, he doesn't have to show it like that. But um, I do think they were both riling each other up throughout the game. 
And even after the game, Conte, I think, put up something on Instagram saying that if he had seen Tuchel running past him, he would have tripped him and so on. It's going to earn both of them a touch touchline ban, I guess, for a couple of matches. But I think everyone's enjoying this. I mean, the thing is, it's it's nice to see a little bit of passion off the pitch as well, right? Yeah, I've never seen a handshake like that. I mean, that was <laughs> that was it was ridiculous. Like it doesn't have a precedent in terms of just the the logistics of how it happened. Like they just like wouldn't let go of each other's hand. I mean, Kante is just Kante is a is a nut. The guy is absolutely like if he wasn't like a, a kind of like a classically handsome, elegant, like Italian man, and he just looked more frazzled. That would be yeah. like his perception, but he kind of hits it together because he's like suave in those ways. But he's a complete lunatic. Like the players, imagine being a left back playing next to Conte as your manager. Like he's probably so glad that guy's in the stands for the next few matches or whatever. Like that sounds horrible. <laughs> well, speaking of petulance, um, PSG always comes up, right? It doesn't, it seems like even when they're having a good start to the season, they've scored five goals in both their opening games. Mm-hmm. Now they have a problem that Mbappe, Neymar, Neymar is actually playing well for once. I mean, not just playing well, but seems more committed than I've seen him in the last mm-hmm. two or three years, tracking back, being responsible, passing when there is an open lane. And somehow Mbappe now seems to be flexing his muscles and they're seem to be having a bit of a row there. Do you see the three, Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, do you think it can be sort, or sorted out and they can have a reasonably good season in terms of the Champions League? I'm sure they win the league. Or is, uh, are these three, there are too many, the three egos in, in the same part of the pitch too much for one team? Yeah, what do you think, Ryan? Because my sense was... We went. We spoke about this briefly last week. That this is the first time in like five years that for me PSG is just not at the level like the, of of the other European elite. They're they're playing this five in the back system. Marquinhos, Ramos, Kimpembe, yeah, and the only two midfielders they play are Verratti and Patinho. Uh, so I'm wondering. And it, yeah, like, what do you see when you look at that team? I mean, I see it. I think it's the same thing in the uh, the Champions League is all that matters. It doesn't matter what they did in the league. Um, in, in the late stage of the Champions League, they we run into these situations where it's like, okay, Verratti has to be a hero. He's on the ball for like 60% of the game. And it's a matter of the, the workload that you give on that guy. It's just, it's just too much. So if he can withstand it, then, then great. Um, because, yeah, it's a midfield. That's a big issue. Um, and the, there was that year where uh, Neymar and Mbappe looked really good. And then they, well, it's every year, you know, they'll show something in the group stages and then just like fall flat. Um, I, I think this year should, I have just a hunch that they'll pull it out. I just think like they'll having played a year together. I think feel like Messi will just be like, okay, guys, we have to do this. And with the whole Mbappe saga being over, uh, I I think there'll be a level of settledness 
um, that they'll pull it out, but there's no good reason. It's at the end of the day, when we were talking in the first session about like, well, there's tactics and at one point you just have to do with the Ancelotti type of thing of letting um, talent sort of figure it out how to pattern themselves as necessary to create goals. And maybe that's what it'll be in the group stages. You know, the three of them just like figuring it out because you have three football geniuses of a sort. Um, realizing hopefully that this is their last chance. Well, that's the thing. You never really know with PSG because the weekend matches don't tell you much. Right? But I agree with you, Van. The thing is that even I think this year Messi is settled. They seem to be playing with a certain coherence. But again, we don't know whether that will translate into, um, into the Champions League. And already you see these ego clashes coming up and who knows where that, where that goes because once that begins, mm-hmm. it, it, it can become really messy. But... Well, let's see. I mean, it depends on what, what group they get and obviously uh, the tie, right? Um, presumably, when we reach the second round, they, they don't want to be playing a big team too early, um, I would imagine. Sweet. Yeah, my sense with Neymar is that he's over the hill. And so if you compare him, I just, if you compare him to Vinicius, Junior who plays exactly the same position. He's just he's nowhere near as as good or as efficient. Or if you compare him to Martinelli, who's our main man at Arsenal, I think Martinelli like ranks favorably in terms of obviously energy, but also like composure and efficacy. And so if you look at that Arsenal, okay, you have Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, whatever, but you have Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, Jesus who are so much more energized. Um, it just looked, it looked really good. I don't know what to say. Like, I think aesthetically it's about as good as it, it's about as good as it gets. Um, I think pretty much everyone but yeah. City in the Premier League is looking at that and going, holy shit. I hope there's an injury. I hope there's some kind of defection because. Also, yeah. I mean, the, the continuity in terms of a 4-2-4, um, <laughs> like, gee, they just, from back to front, built that four to four two four in a way against Leicester that it was like the patterns of play on the left side. My goodness, from Zinchenko's <laughs> one twos with Martinelli and then interchange with Gabriel Jesus. Like that's how you're gonna do your four two four. Yeah, PSG exactly. should be like figuring it out based off of that. Yeah, but as a result also of that working, I guess Saka looks less integral which i think is not a bad thing because in the long run and so maybe that's the right type of balance i don't know right arsenal might be the team with sorry the arsenal might be the team with the brazilian stars jesus and martinelli (laughs) might be who we're looking at you know come december in, in, in the world cup well both teams um City and Arsenal have taken six points, but they're both away. Arsenal to Bournemouth and City to Newcastle. You guys expect any surprises? And we can end with that. No. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) We have to hold it here next week. Well, thank you all for joining us, and we shall see you next week.